Well, folks, we want to just thank you for listening in today and just want to just remind us where we're at. We're at the end. We're moving to the end. We, we may be moving there slowly. Uh, but I can tell you this, the end is coming. Uh, the end not only of Zechariah chapter 14 and Zechariah the prophecy, but the earth is coming to an end. This is the eschatological plan of God. And, and we can see through the various successions here that we've been talking about in chapter 14 that we're going to come to that end. Last time we encountered the start of the most profound events in all of biblical prophecy, biblical history, the return of the king, the second return of the king. He's coming for his people, but he's not only coming for his people, and and I hope last time I was clear enough, he's coming for his creation as well. Remember, that was a perfect creation. Our sin ruined that perfect creation. Obviously, the whole event that's going on here is something that happens in real time. Therefore, it needs to unfold before our eyes, but also in our hearts. We, we need to be able to embrace this and, and hold it within our thinking. Folks, we live in, in troubling times, very troubling times. And as we watch the events that are going on, our faith some, can sometimes be shaken our hope can sometimes be shaken. We begin to wonder sometimes, is this the end times and, and how is it going to unfold and what's going to happen here and what's going to happen to our country? And, and I know some folks who are older than I are thinking about what's going to happen to my grandkids and what's going to happen to my kids and what's going to happen to this and what's going to happen to that. But all that's happening here in our country today is part of God's plan. I don't care what it is. If we were in 1999 or we're in 2020. It doesn't matter. This is all part of God's plan. And he is bringing us inexorably to the end, marching us, so to speak, down the corridors of time. We may be questioning to a degree, but when all is said and done, we have to go back to the fact, and the one true fact, that God is in charge And he will do as he pleases. And and I'm so grateful for that. I just finished with a a telephone call with somebody else and talking about a a death of someone and all of these kinds of things that are happening. And and I said the one thing that I can put my, my teeth into and know that for sure my God is in control. My God is going to bring us to where we need to be. Isaiah 46, 10 and 11. Just listen to this. You don't need to turn there. But Isaiah 46, 10 and 11. It says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose, and this is God speaking, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. That's my God. He's going to accomplish all his good pleasure. Verse 11, truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. And I can put my faith in that no matter what it is, folks. My God has planned it. It surely is going to come to pass. And I can rest assured in that. The Zechariah prophecy that we're looking at here has been handled in many different ways. Martin Luther, when he was writing his commentary on um, the book of Zechariah, got to this chapter, chapter 14, of writing his commentary, and he, 
he stopped and he said this, in this chapter, I surrender for I am not certain of what the chapter says. Whoa, that's Martin Luther. And he says, I I don't know what this chapter says. He stopped writing there. He didn't go on. But folks, as we read this chapter, as we looked at it last time, and we're going to look at it again today, this chapter is not an easy chapter to read, and especially if you've come out of the Jewish background. These are hard things that are going to happen here, and they did happen. They will happen, I should say. We enter this chapter calling upon our, our great God and, and our Savior to direct us to the truth and to the, to the correct exposition of this particular chapter. Martin Luther gives us an idea that what is being said could be confusing and, and at least difficult to understand. But, but folks, I want you to know, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in the literal translation and exposition of God's word, you're going to come to the same conclusion. I I introduced this last time. We're going to be looking at an incredible act of God where he steps in, but it's going to cost much. It's going to cost Israel much. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. Yet God's people Those people who he chooses and those who he wants will be redeemed and they will be refined through this process. Just as all of us in in this life are continuing to be refined, although God reaches down and, and saves us, he then doesn't quite live out our life all by ourselves. He does give us his Holy Spirit, but we still are making choices along the way. And when we do wrong, he is going to spank us and he's going to bring us back. But let me read the whole section for us before we get started here, and just to bring us up to where we need to be. It's Zechariah chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, and the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fights on a day of battle. In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in the front of Jerusalem. On the east and the Mount of Olives, which will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. So that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. You will flee by the valley of my mountain, mountains, for the valley of my mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Incredible day that'll be. In that day there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle. For it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But it will come about that at evening there will be light. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and the other half towards the western sea. It will be in summer as well as in winter. And the Lord will be king over the 
all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate from the tower of Hanel and to the wine presses, the king's wine presses. People will live in it, and there will no longer be a curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. If you remember, the title of this message is My Mountains. You can see that in verse 5 there. My Mountains is what he calls it. That is his land, his holy land. We looked at the last time, the first two transitions, so to speak, as we described it uh, last time, was moving towards this uh, eschatological event here. And we said the first event was the success of the nations, or the first transition was the success of the nations. And we see that in verses 1 and 2. And this, by way of reminder, the success of the nations against Israel was a profound lesson. It's a profound lesson in judgment. It's a profound lesson in judgment against disobedience. And it's on God's people. And God brings it on God's people. But God's chosen people have experienced chastisement in the past. We, we looked at that as well. We, we spoke of that on, on some of those occasions, whether it, whether it would have been in uh, 70 AD when the Romans came in or it was the Germans and during Nazi uh, Germany, all of that and, and the Holocaust that went on and the 7 million Jews taken then. I was thinking about it just recently. I was thinking about when we were up at Masada. Some of us in, in Anchored were up at Masada. And to hear the lesson that two years the Roman uh, army kept building this ramp so that they could get up to the top of Masada. They got 1,000 people up there, 900 people up there, something like that. They had enough provisions to keep themselves alive and all of those kinds of things. And as they're building the ramp, it's getting closer and closer and closer, and those people are up on the mountain. The Romans get to the top. Guess what happens? They're all dead. They took their lives rather than being taken by the Romans. That's what they did there at Masada. God's people have found and and seen chastisement before. God waits until the last possible moment, and he steps in in the particular situation that we're going to look at today, and he is going to show and give his grace, his mercy, and his power. He's going to display that for everyone to see. Beginning of this prophecy starts with the nations in complete control. They're able to do whatever they wanted to do. They can overrun the people of God right there in Jerusalem. They're able to do this and do about anything that they want to do. They're able to riot and take people's goods. They can steal whatever they want. They take people's homes. They take their possessions. They mishandle their women and their children. We gave you a little bit more description on that last time. But, but, and that is a big word, God steps in. And this is where we see the transition to the, to the second step where God enters into the battle. And he does that for his namesake and for his people. It, it brings him more glory for him to step in when it looks like it's almost over. God then begins to supply a way of escape he levels the mountains. I mean, you can't just do that 
on your own. God, though, can do that. He levels what? His mountains. My mountains he takes care of. He supplies a way of escape by dividing his mountain, creating a a smooth path between those mountains, between the Mount of Olives. The Messiah brings with him the holy ones. And the battle ensues and the Lord Almighty has his victory. Now see what happens in the eschatological plan. Those are, that's catching you up on the first part of this, but now we're going to look at the eschatological plan. This plan here that produces a glorious victory for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The success of God in battle also showed the fulfilling of his magnificent promises because he's now reconciling Israel, redeeming Israel, and also the earth at the same time. All of that from its own fallenness. He's going to bring them back. Yahweh steps into the picture. It's an epic exposure that's just absolutely incredible with the feet coming down on the Mount of Olives. He deals with the nations in a profound way for his glory. And that's what it's about, folks. It is about his glory. The last transition here, the success of the eschatological plan. Let's start it in verse 6 there. In that day there will be no light, the luminaries will dwindle. Folks, unless you are without sight, and by the way, we do have one very, very dear saint here in our class in Anchored that does not have sight. You see and you experience light every single day. Yet in the day of the Lord, that eschatological future day of the Lord, the lights go out. The sun, the stars that produce those lights are gone. God is telling the creation he is returning. He is returning for it is his day. Since it is his day, it must be very, very, very unique day. The light is withdrawn. But you can still see, even though the light is withdrawn, the heavenly bodies that produce that light dwindle. They go away. This unusual day is described in verse 7, and we'll get there in a little while. But this is a frightening day. Because it is a day of judgment. Folks, there are a few different translations, and I do want to give them to you so you get an idea that when the translators got to this portion of Scripture, they had difficulty in trying to give us a picture of what it was. The NIV says it's no cold or frost, but that's not quite exactly what the NAS says. The NAS says no, the luminaries will dwindle. So the lights go out. There's um, an idea that when the lights go out, it gets cooler. You know, the same thing here in California. When, when the sun goes down, it gets cooler, those kinds of things. So well, there'll be no frost, even though it gets cooler in the evening. The little he- literal Hebrew says this, the splendid ones. The splendid ones will congeal. The, the heavenly bodies will congeal. They'll come together in some form. I don't know about you, but recently we've been having um, these fires in Southern California. They've affected my, my throat and all of that kind of breathing and that kind of stuff. But there's something else that's happened. When those fires were at their peak, the sun seemed to be dimmed and the light went out. One day I was sitting in my office and I thought we were going to have a rainstorm. I thought we were going to have a thunderstorm because it got so dark and it was still early. It got so dark, but it got dark because of the smoke and as it was covering the sun from coming down and and hitting us on the ground. 
It brought an ominous darkness. Matter of fact, it looked kind of scary. It resembled that thunderstorm, but it was no thunderstorm. Maybe the destruction that's going on in Jerusalem, remember we looked at that in verses 1 and 2, is causing the lights to dim. Without light, the temperature usually rises, but this didn't create any frost, didn't create any cold. It appears that the luminaries have gone out or melted away from existence. There are other portions of Scripture that speaks to this same issue. If you would, turn to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60 gives a very clear description of this same event. And in in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 19 and 20, it says this, No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. Your sun will no, no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you have, will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be over. So we get a little bit of a picture there. Now, it's interesting. I've been to Alaska in July. Up there, the, the sun doesn't disappear. You don't, I mean, I should say it does disappear. You don't see it, but there's still light in the sky. This is the same kind of thing that I think is happening here. Now, let's go back to, to Zechariah, and it says there, there's more of a description of what we're going to be experiencing here. And back in I, uh, Zechariah, in verse 7, it says this, For it will be a unique day, which is known to the Lord neither day nor night, but it will come about that at evening time there will be light. It will come about that there will be light in the evening. There's a reordering here, folks. There's a reconfiguration of maybe even the universe itself. It begins to be initiated by God. When you go back to creation, back in Genesis chapter 1, when you go back to creation in Genesis chapter 1, it says there, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's the beginning of creation. We see the beginning of what's going on here. Now we're at the recreation, the reformation of the planet, And so I find it very, very curious that one of the first things that God modifies is the light. As God is reordering and reconfiguring the creation light is one of the first elements that he begins to adjust. He begins to tune it in, so to speak. Listen to the description back in Isaiah of of another um, portion of Isaiah, chapter 13, where it also speaks of this last day, this this eschatological day in Isaiah chapter 13. And it gives us a very clear picture of what's going to happen at the end there. In Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6, it says this, Well, well, we've seen that word before back in chapter 13. Well, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt. Those who are still in existence are going to melt. Their hearts are going to melt. It's going to be an astounding time. They will be terrified. Verse 8. 
pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment. Their faces aflame. They're going to be scared out of their wits. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. Again, the stars are going out. Sun being one of those. And it says there in the rest of that verse, the sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will not shed its light. Folks, what a picture of what's going to happen at the end. I I like that uh, their faces will be aflame. They're going to be scared. Isaiah 24, 23 says this, Then the moon will be ashamed, and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. Again, another picture right there in Isaiah of the same thing that's going to be happening. And I like the way that uh, Isaiah 24, 23 puts it. The moon and the sun will be ashamed. See, the moon and the sun have been looking down on the sin of this planet, the people of this planet. And they're going to be ashamed, in a sense, obviously, anthropomorphically. They will be ashamed of the transgressions that go on. Go to the New Testament. We also have a a picture there in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. And it says this, But immediately, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Again, a picture. Yes, it's using uh, from Isaiah, but this is also said here. That of what's going to happen at the end time. These are going to be perilous times at the end. Incredible times. That unique day, the Lord's day. That's a day that's known only to the Lord. God only is the one who understands that. God only is the one who is going to fulfill his plan there. God alone understands that day. It says it's neither day nor light, night, One commentator said, it is the transplendent light of the glory of God. By the way, you will not find transplendent in the dictionary. He made that up just to show it's it's an awesome kind of light that comes because of the glory of God. The glory of God, this strangeness that's happening here in Zechariah. The strangeness of this day continues but it will come about that at evening there will be there will be light. Now wait a minute. There's no light during the day, but there's light at night. There's a flip-flop of day and night. In the daytime no light, but at night there will be light. <laughs> Go figure what's going to happen here. God has his creation in his hand. He's doing what he wants with his creation. Beloved, this is the if I can put it this way, the dawn of a transformed creation. This is the beginning. The glory of God and His creation will be will so much more comprehensive than the previous creation. Friends, the peculiarity of this day is the ushering in of the time when there will be no need for a sun, there will be no need for a moon, there will be no need for any of those things. Now, I do want to make sure that you understand this is connected even with our end times book of Revelation. 
Revelation 21, 23 says this, and you can check this out later. Revelation 21, 23. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Notice, it's the Lamb that's going to be giving off the light. The glory of God gives off the light. Revelation, staying right there, 22, verse 5. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not need... They will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. It's not going to go out like a candle or your electricity when the state of California uses too much electricity. God's eschatological plan continues into verse 8. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem half towards the eastern sea and the other half towards the western sea, it will be in summer as well as winter. God is going to bring forth living waters. He's going to provide living waters for them, refreshing waters for them. In a desert land like Israel, and it, that's one of the most valuable commodities you can actually have, is water. To be able to feed plants and vines and, and have these things grow so that you have food. It produces produce so you can eat. But these are not just any kind of waters here, folks. These are not just ordinary waters here that he's speaking of. It's not just like having a river or something like that. But they're described as living waters. Uh, if we could say it this way, they're, uh, even a better way of saying it is these are life-giving waters. This water will run east and west. And, and I'm somewhat of a buff on geography and that kind of stuff. So how can waters flow east and west? It, it, it's an impossibility unless it has one source. So that one source is coming up out of the ground and then it's flowing down a mountain to, to some degree. There's got to be a mountain there. And it's going east, okay, towards the Dead Sea, and it's going west towards the Mediterranean Sea. Those are the two different uh, seas that it would be going towards, two different valleys. Going east of the Dead Sea, it's going to make it alive. That sea that's been dead for centuries is going to become alive. That ancient sea will come to life and living waters will begin to flow into there, down into that valley, and it'll become lush become rich because the people who have escaped have escaped down toward that area, they will have that kind of environment to go to. Living Waters has the idea of being uncontaminated, fresh water, and the idea of giving life. That's what it's going to do. It's going to give life to a dead sea. That's why it's called Living Waters. Please take note in the eschatological plan that these waters never run dry. They flow summer and they flow winter. In Israel, today, okay, they have uh, always a need for water. Their water doesn't always flow. Their rivers sometimes are just stony um, uh, canyons. Much like the Santa Clarita River, I think there's a river there. I think I've seen it once, uh, folks. I don't live up there, so I don't see it when it's raining, but I did, did see some water in it once. But that's what happens when you don't have rain. I find this new source of living water appropriate. And it's needful. It's needful for that land. It's needful for this new creation, so to speak, that God is putting together. 
I remember being in Israel and seeing Hezekiah's tunnel and the reason for that whole tunnel. And, and this is a long thing through the middle of a mountain that they kept digging this thing to bring water into the city of Jerusalem. That's the whole idea of the Hezekiah's tunnel. It's not for a tour. It was built basically to bring water into the city. Israel has always struggled with the idea of having enough water for its citizens. Now, Zechariah tells us that Jerusalem is the center of distribution of these living waters. Friends, it goes beyond just the physical, but the spiritual blessing of a, of a people here. It's not only just the waters that are coming, but it's a spiritual blessing that comes from those people now, because why? The King of kings and the Lord of lords is residing there. It's going to follow whatever the Lord wants. And folks, we need to remember this even for this day and age, as obedience brings blessing, living waters. Disobedience brings judgment. Verse 9, as we go through this Zechariah passage, And the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day. The Lord will be the only one, and his name the only one. There's no more competition here. There are, not going, there are not going to be other gods that people will want to serve because there's only going to be one. It'll be the Lord. We won't have to compete with Islam or with Hinduism or any of the other religions. He is the ultimate in blessing. The Lord will be king over all the earth. Today our earthly governments experience the rule of, of God on this earth. That's Satan. He's the God on this earth. Over the ages, some of the Earthly governments have been benevolent or righteous to some degree. They can never be perfect for sure. However, that will not be the norm when the Lord comes. He's going to take over everything. Not only will his reign be perfect, it'll be just, it'll be righteous. Today, there are some better governments that are blessed because of following God. But the more that they turn away from God, the more that they are going to be punished. And that's a truism, folks. We see that happening even today in our day. The more that they turn away from God, the more they will be punished. And it's going on even today. God alone will rule. God alone will reign over this new creation, over this new earth. There will be great changes to this planet, and and we're going to see that in a few minutes here. We'll see this in a few minutes. This year, on planet Earth 2020, we have had some great changes. Most of those great changes have been felt by all on this planet. As people have hunkered down and stayed in their homes and and not been any kind of uh, socializing, this has been probably the most negative of times that I certainly know in my lifetime, brief lifetime, that is. There have been blessings, though, as well. There are people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. There are churches that are open and growing, and we see those kinds of things, and we see people every single day wanting to know, is this the end? When our great God and Savior makes changes, they will be a blessing completely and without a doubt. But they will be a blessing for the followers of Jesus Christ and Messiah. If you don't know Jesus Christ, today is the day of your calling. Come to him today. Don't give it another thought. Come by faith and give your life to him. Verse 10, 
all the land will be changed into a plain. What that's saying is that everything around Jerusalem is going to be flattened. Mount of Olives will be flattened and um, Zion, they'll all be flattened. Jerusalem will still be there. With the Lord setting his feet on the Mount of Olives, separating that two-mile stretch there, other topographical things begin to happen. But it says there, but Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site. Jerusalem today is not above Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives is above Jerusalem, but it's going to go and flip-flop the other direction. I believe that the mountains that are surrounding Jerusalem are leveled into a plain while the city of Jerusalem rises. It goes forth into distinction. It is now taking its place of prominence in this world. Not only that, but God is going to bring it to safety, security. You see that at the end of verse 11. It says, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. Secure because it is above the others. Secure because it's, it's something that would have to be attacked from below and they'd be on top. Isaiah 2, Isaiah 2, 2. Listen to this. Now, it will come about that in the last days, that's the eschatological plan of God, the mountain of the house of the Lord, Jerusalem, okay, that's the mountain of the house of the Lord, will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Yeah, the nations are going to come to make bring homage to him. All of these things, these convulsions on the earth, are all the eschatological plan of God. And he's going to bring it about. God will make it happen. Let, let's look at Micah, just, just one little verse out of Micah. Amos, Joel, Micah. Micah chapter 4, verse 1. And it will come about in the last days, that's the end of times here, that the mountain of the house of the Lord, that is Jerusalem, will be established as the chief of mountains. It will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. Verse 2, many nations will come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us. Wow. I, I, that's going to be a beautiful sight. People coming there, not coming to loot, not coming to kill and murder and, and maim the, the, the Jewish people there. No, to come and to worship God. Verse 11, people will live in it and there will no longer be a curse for Jerusalem will dwell in security. As we look out at our nation today, we see lawlessness. We see disdain for, for God. Even those claiming to be Christians have a perverted understanding of who God is. It, it just becomes even more evident as they begin to open up their mouth and talk about who God is. Evil has been declared good in this nation. God is now, good is now evil. That's what's been declared in this nation, and this nation will be punished for that. Some of those who are in rebellion seem to be prospering by looting, by stealing, by getting out of jail early. All of those kinds of things that are being favored by certain people. Beloved, our God does not always settle his accounts immediately. I hope you understand that. He does not always settle his accounts immediately. The presence, 
presidents, the kings, the rulers, the mayors of cities as well of this world will have to give an account. Were they a blessing to the people? Did they protect the people? One thing is for sure, Jesus will return and every nation, every person will bow their knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How do I know that? The Bible tells me so. Philippians chapter 2. And I love this after it speaks of God's um, humility in Jesus Christ. It then says in chapter 2, verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted him. After you see him in verse 6 and 7 and 8, the only begotten Son of God, giving up his godhood to take on humanity, It says in verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven, the saved, on earth, those who are still here, and under the earth, the dead, and maybe even those from Sheol, of course, or from hell, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They will see. They will see. They have missed out. But they will bow their knee at least that once. And that will be a beautiful day of glory for our great God and Savior. Folks, I want to finish. A little unusual way of finishing. We've looked at three transitions here. The the success of the nations in verses 1 and 2. The success of God in the battle, we saw that last time in verses 3 through 5. And then the success of the eschatological plan of God's plan. And I wanted to read Psalm 46. It's an addendum to Zechariah chapter 14. It, it sort of puts a, a, a period, a, an exclamation point on Zechariah chapter 14. And it says this, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place, places of the Most High. Those living waters are going to come forward. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Verse 8, come, behold the works of the Lord. Who has wrought desolations in the earth? He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving. This is so very important. Cease striving and know that I am God. This is him speaking, obviously. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Folks, today we've seen, no matter what happens, even at the end, our God reigns. He is in control. We have an election coming up. Some people are frightened about that. There's nothing to be frightened about. 
Go to the polls. Make sure that you are voting. But God is still in control, and he's going to make whoever he wants to be president of the United States. And then we'll see what happens, because it's going to continue his eschatological plan. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. I pray for the folks that are listening that you would give them grace and mercy as we all look forward to the return of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen.